This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Garant Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Garant Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift. Find your fun with the indoor cycling app where fun is fast. Chryso. That's a bit of Welsh for you. Tom, we're back. Do you have a great summer, mate? Do you miss me? Yeah, I did miss you. But the nice thing about your profession is that I can always keep in touch with you by tuning in either to Eurosport or to ITV4 and see what you've been up to. It felt like a bit of a roller coaster ride. We'll get into your summer. But it made me remember that for people who want to support you in big races, for your family, for your friends, it's never easy, is it? No, no. That's the lifestyle of a uh, pro athlete. Oh, yeah. Maybe mine's a bit more up and down, literally. But it wasn't one of the best summers. Like you say, we'll get into that in a bit. But um, yeah, there's very one way that is, though, isn't it? Like you can follow me and watch me, but I've missed you, mate. I, I haven't really... I got the odd text from you, but I haven't seen your face. Oh, that's nice. You're looking good. You, you, you're looking tanned, actually, Tom. Well, this is the nice thing, G, about us being back for Series 2. Series 1 went down pretty well with people didn't it and we sort of accidentally created a massive cycling club so first of all g not just it's nice to see you and hopefully it's nice to see me it's nice to welcome back all our club members yes indeed and uh you still appear to be our chairperson though yeah some sort of administrative cock-up oversight has seen me stay as chairperson despite the fact i've done almost nothing um, to justify that position but I think as a chairperson it is my duty to welcome any new members to the club so if you are new to this this is how it works all you need to know is we have new episodes every Tuesday and it's me Tom Fordyce very much an amateur chatting to Geraint very much not an amateur and some of Geraint's mates a lot of whom happen to be big names in cycling there's a few knights of the realm in there some fashionistas some baristas thrown in for good measure that's pretty much it, I think. Oh, and you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook if you want to join the community. We're a friendly bunch, aren't we, G? We sure are, Tom. And uh, I see you've come dressed for the occasion as well. Have you got our uh, official GTCC jersey on? Looks pretty snug, got to say. Yeah, by snug, if you mean that I've put on some upper body muscle over the course <laughs> of my summer, that I'm looking ripped, then I'll take, the, I'll take the word snug. Big news, we are going to have a brand new Series 2 edition being designed as we speak. I'm not in charge of it. We're also going to have some other merch out before Christmas, so you can start sticking things on your Christmas list. We're going to hopefully have some T-shirts, some bead-ons. Those have been popular items requested, so watch this space. Right, all good. Should we crack on with the first episode? Let's do it. So, G, usually on this podcast, I ask you to go through your contact book and persuade a big name to join us, take us into the world of team pursuit or psychology, win, time trialing, sprinting, the list goes on. And you can go and binge the entire first series if you haven't listened to it yet. But today, G, I didn't ask you to bring a guest because it feels like we've got a lot to catch up on. It's been a big old summer in the cycling world. Where should we start? I mean, I don't want to talk about what your swan year Marco referred to famously as a whoopsie. But we should talk about the Tour de France because it is the biggest race. It was definitely a roller coaster watching you. Like there were there were points in those early few days where it was fantastic. Geez, avoided all the the big whoopsies that were going on, and then there was unfortunately a whoopsie. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, it was um, one of those races which um, started okay. And as you say, stage three, it all went to pot. <sighs> it was just a long old race after that, really. Just going back a few weeks, though, Dauphiné before that was good. I won a stage and I was third overall. So we'll at least start on a high. But then after that, yeah, we should be right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was the, the tour. Yeah, that crash on stage three, it was wet. I was a bit too relaxed really hit a speed bump and um lost my hands off the bars which is a bit freak anyway but it happens i don't know if you've ever done it it's something which a lot of people it happens to a lot of people basically but yeah i lost my hands off the bars ended up on the deck popped my shoulder out i thought my race was over at at first because i hadn't realized it was my shoulder that come out it was just super painful luke rowe was stood over me just like oh you're right mate you know you want to get up and i was just like ah no no i'm out i can't i can't get back on the bike I was in that much pain you know and then the doctor came in popped it back in and then suddenly I was like oh yeah I'm okay and got on the radio Luke I'm I'm, I'm coming so then he stopped waited for me and then yeah we were chasing to get back but I think it was early on in the stage I think Lotto were riding Lotto Sudal so Caleb Ewan was going for the sprint they were riding so they were going quite fast Luke waited and then a couple other guys had to sit up and wait for me because we needed a bit more help because we're about two minutes down and then fortunately for us, Lotto actually eased up and let us sort of catch him, get it back into the peloton. And then, yeah, they started rising again. Because as I say, it was still a long way in the stage to go and they were quite close to the break anyway. So it wasn't like they had to keep riding that pace. So that was definitely appreciated that. But uh, well, it was a long day. As I say, it felt a lot better once the shoulder was back in, but it still wasn't nice. I wouldn't say it was very comfortable. And then in the final... Oh, just all hell broke loose. As I say, I was sort of at the back a lot of it because, yeah, I was feeling pretty vulnerable. I was hurting a bit, so I didn't want to be right fighting in the mix again. And then there was three big crashes, but I ended up actually moving up the GC, which was kind of strange because then I didn't get caught up in those (laughs) crashes. And obviously Roglic, a few other guys who were in front of me, lost time, and I didn't in the end. So, yeah, I popped my shoulder out and gained time. So, But then the rest of the tour was just... It was hard, not going to lie. It was up and down. And it was more mentally than anything. That was the hardest bit. Yeah, I bet it was, G, because there was that period earlier in the summer where obviously you'd done all your training. We'd heard about that in Series 1 and we'd spoken to you in different locations around Europe as you were getting ready for the summer. And watching your Romandy, that all seemed to be going really well, apart from freezing cold, wet conditions (laughs) and uh, another whoopsie, which you recovered from. So at that point... Did you, because I wondered from the outside, because it was so cold and wet, whether the efforts you put in there held you back in the weeks to come or had an effect on you? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard when I think um, I probably did a bit too much after Romandy. I remember at the Dauphiné, I just felt a bit flat the first few days and then sort of came into it and was good at the end. But yeah, I think just needed to hold back a little. But you know, in that crash, by the way, the one in Romandy, sorry, Seaward, we're not saying it, are we? The Michael, the Michael, the Michael the Woods one. Yeah. Yeah, my hands are freezing cold. I just changed gear and I didn't realise I wasn't actually holding the bars properly. I just couldn't feel my hands. So I got up to sprint and I wasn't holding properly and just pulled my hand off the bars. Like it was, it looked ridiculous. It is ridiculous, really. Like you, you never sort of think that would happen. Anyway, that happens and I've sore ribs for a while. And then about two weeks later, the guy that comes around to my apartment here cracked my back and then my ribs were like super sore again. I was like, wow, that, that's sore. Like, don't do that again. 
Hang on, this this guy this guy is cracking your back. Just just to clarify, he he's meant to crack your back. He's a <laughs> he's an osteopath. He's not just some random Monaco resident who's come around and cracked your back. <laughs> no, yeah, he's qualified. He knows what he's doing. But yeah, so this was two weeks after Romandy, and then obviously I go to Tenerife, big training camp there. As I say, maybe did a little too much. Maybe should have held back a bit. But then do Dauphiné, then go to the tour, have this other little whoopsie. Two days after the tour crash. I go just for some scans just to see if they can see there's any damage, like roughly if they can tell how long it's going to take to recover. Just hopefully get a bit of pos- positive news really and be like, look, it's, it's going to be sore, but you're going to get, it's going to heal relatively quickly considering you're doing the Tour de France. Anyway, they were like, oh yeah, it's all good. It seems to be stable. There's no new fractures, blah, blah, blah. That's all good. Uh, and they were like, but by the way, have you broke your ribs recently? I was like, what? <laughs> I don't think so. And then they showed the scan and they you could see like, I guess it's brighter in white. It shows healing bones. I think that's what it was. And he was like, yeah, you, you've you've broken like three of your ribs oh. and then whatever numbers they call them and stuff. So yeah, I, I, I broke my ribs in Romandy. Either that or this bloody guy off the street came and cracked my back <laughs> and cracked my ribs at the same time. But uh, so yeah, I learned that, which was, well, that sort of explained why they were, they were sore that that news was like okay I'll, I'll crack on i'm still sort of hanging in there in gc we'll try and just keep pushing hopefully i'll recover but then stage eight comes round, started out the gun full gas i was suffering from the start i actually lost contact i was in like the gruppetto with luke rowe and the, the the bigger guys the sprinters we were like oh, i'll be okay you'll settle down once the breakaway goes and we'll be able to get back turns out they just raced full gas for well it was all day so we never came back and I lost 20 odd minutes and that was my tour over really. So that was the hardest point mentally because as you say, you know, from January, it all been about the tour, I'd spent so much time away from family, I'd been weighing out my pasta for six months, you know, eating salad and fish and like obviously I enjoy enjoy it in a way, but at the same time it's hard. Like obviously time away from family is the hardest, but you know, when you're on the regime and you're like cutting out everything and you know, I kind of go all in, you know, I don't touch any chocolate or any crisps or don't drink. And I think I've said before, inside I'm a little, little fat boy, really. I love a bit of naughty food, you know, or a good drink. <laughs> you put it to one side because you're sacrificing like for the the bigger goal and for it all to just end so abruptly, like because of that crash. And then to lose that time that day, it was proper low point. And then that night I heard that Roglic was going home. I chatted to him a bit. Well, I, for like a couple of minutes really because we were both pretty down whereas we were crossing the line on stage eight like 20 odd minutes behind the winner we were both just like this is crap isn't it in a way it kind of made it a little easier because someone else who had sacrificed so much was in that same position and you could kind of relate to each other and bitch about everyone to each other (laughs) yeah that night then I heard he wasn't starting I was like wow is that the right thing to do maybe I should do that you know go home, rest, recover, come back for the Olympics and maybe target the Vuelta, which is what Roglic did. Worked out pretty well for him. I stayed because I didn't just want to quit either, you know. Was, the, the team were still had high hopes of doing well and didn't want to just abandon them. And then I was thinking, you know, if I just stay here, I'm going to get looked after the best. You know, there's physio, massage, a chef, you know, good racing. It's six and two threes, you know. Hindsight, I definitely should have probably done what Roglic did, but hindsight's wonderful in it and 
I always think you can't regret the decisions you've made at the time when you've sort of, that's what you believe is the best thing to do. So yeah. And then the rest of the race, it was just, as I say, it was so up and down purely because I could get little successes like when you ride on the front and you feel like you've done something for the team. But deep down, you're like, this isn't what I come here to do. You know, I come here to try and at least get on the podium and be right there in the thick of it. So that was super hard to take. And then it just takes a lot out of you. Like, it's easy to be like, oh yeah, you'll, you'll get better through the race. Or, you know, once your shoulder's better, you'll be all right. But the amount of extra energy you've spent that first week, the immediate aftermath of the crash, you know, to just get through the race, not just perform and things, it's, it takes a lot. So, um, yeah, by the end, I was pretty nailed. Yeah, I wouldn't say finished on a high. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I finished, though. It was, it was super nice to get to Paris, and Max was there <sighs> first. Well, he was at the World's TT last year, but it was the first race that I've actually been with him and you know he was loving it they were in the vip <laughs> but sarah had a champagne flute he had a flute with spark and water so yeah that was great at least that was one positive yeah it's funny when you say you just had your shoulder pop back in do you make it sound very easy you weren't the only welsh elite sports person at that time to suffer a shoulder dislocation um i got well, more, <laughs> more of which in a moment but i got a text from a cousin of mine who said a few years ago, he said, I dislocated my shoulder and six months later, I still needed help eating my tea. So I think there's probably more, <laughs> there's probably more to it than he just had it pop back in. Most of us would, uh, after dislocating our shoulder, as you did, would be lying around in bed or on the sofa getting other people to do stuff for us. We wouldn't be riding brutal stages of the Tour de France. Well, I had a few people going back to get me bottles and they grabbed my feedback for me. So <laughs> there's a positive. It's it's not a nice feeling, but saying that when they do put it back in, I don't think there's a better feeling than that. <laughs> just from the because the pain, like oh, it's ridiculous. To then just the relief is just like oh wow, that's it's yeah insane. It's like if you go from a ten out of ten of pain and then you go to a four, it's so much better than if you just start at zero and then go to a four. You know what I mean? If you go to ten and then you come back down to four, it's like oh four is not so bad. But if you just have a four, just out of the blue, it's different, isn't it? So if that makes any sense. <laughs> it does. This is this is very much the definition of glass half full, I think, when your takeaway from a shoulder dislocation is that when it goes back in, it feels great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But um, yeah, as you say, there was another Welshman that had that happen too, although I think that's a slightly different scale because obviously Alan Wynne-Jones, rugby player, Lions captain, um, rugby's slightly different to, to cycling. <laughs> To see him come back so quick was insane as well, really, to be honest. Like, was it like three, just under three weeks from him doing it? Then he, he was back in South Africa playing? Yeah, he was playing again within three weeks. I know there was a bit of text message chat between the two of you and uh, he was on his walk yeah. bike <laughs> uh, pretty much as soon as he could do. And I know he sent the picture of, of himself on his walk bike to you as if to say, right, I'm going to take a little bit of inspiration from what you've done and I'm going to get back on this line store if you can get back on your bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember thinking, I wish I had that power that he could do. Because those boys on a Watt bike, they pump out some power. <laughs> yeah, this is making me think we should get a rugby player on the pod, actually. We'll stick on the list for a future episode. Um, just on that point about the disappointment, I think when I first started watching road cycling and getting into road cycling, the thing that I always imagined would be hardest, the suffering that I imagined would be hardest, was the physical suffering. If you're taking on some monstrous climb, and you're in the red and you might have run out of food. That's That was always the suffering I thought of. And then the more we've done this podcast and found out more about cycling and the more we've spoken to you about it, 
then actually I think, no, the physical suffering is actually in second place to the mental side of it because it, all sports can be cruel because you can train for months and for years to get to a certain point. But for you, watching you in that tour, it was the instantaneous knowing that when that dislocation happened, that all those weeks and months of training and of sacrifice just go. I think that must be the hardest thing of all. Yeah, definitely. Like the physical side is, it's not easy, but you can kind of learn to sort of enjoy it. You know, it's it's just the norm almost. But the mental side, like you say, is the side which you kind of, neglect almost you know and uh it's it's the hardest bit for sure i think um that's the difference because everyone is physically everyone is so good you know especially in an elite level the margins are very slim but i think for sure it's that mental side as we you know we spoke to steve peters in in season one about the whole psychology side of things and i think that's definitely the difference when it comes to winning and and losing really and yeah the the tour as i said it was it was also hard in the fact that it was a tour and it's like a bit of a goldfish bowl. It's like rugby in Wales, you know? Like, there's no hiding, especially when you've won the race before and then you're doing a job for the team and you're nowhere near what you wanted to be, what you've been training for. And that suffering is just all on display and everyone can see it. And, like, I'm in the Gruppetto and get so much encouragement from fans and, you know, just cheering me on. Like, But sometimes you just, you just don't want to be there. You just want to go away and just hide under a stone, you know, because you're like, oh, there's just, this isn't what I've been training for. So that's tough as well. And then after the tour, we went to Tokyo and it was a new lease of life, really, because it was just a different setting. It was nothing like the Olympics I've done before, though. It was for obvious reasons. But we were in a hotel where it was just the GB athletes, cyclists. So... There was five of us, four guys that raced plus a reserve. And then there was three women, two that did the race and one reserve. And that was it. So we didn't even see any other bike riders. We did out on the road, but not in hotels, let alone any other sports. So just like any other race, which was kind of sad because I'd obviously done three Olympics before and I knew what, and I knew I'd been to Tokyo before. I knew how great that would have been, could have been. So that was quite sad. But at the same time, we were just happy to, to be there and be able to do the Olympics. Um, but then uh, obviously the race comes and I thought I was feeling pretty good in training. Like it felt like I'd recovered quite well. I took the last few days of the tour easy. I took the time trial on stage 20 easy. And yeah, it, it comes to the road race. I was feeling all right. I was ready for it. We had a decent team. So it was just like, right, let's, we're going in there to, to win and at least try and get on the podium. And then yeah, after about 100k, Teo, a teammate, just hit something on the road. It's kind of a, like a metal strip. It was kind of a bit strange. I don't know what it was for, but it was in the middle of the road. Slipped on that, crashed in front of me. Literally, like his bike was less than a meter in front of me. We're doing 50 odd K an hour. Nowhere I could go, just hit his bike. Crash. Actually, land on my right side as well. Luckily, my shoulder stayed in. Tuck and roll. And um, yeah, that was, that was it. Another crash. And I was just on the floor then. And all that sort of negative negativity I guess from the tour and then I kind of put that behind me and was really positive and you know was in a new frame of mind and then that negativity just came flushing back then I was just like what the hell is going on like why is this happening yeah I was hurting it and yeah tried to help the guys constantly going back for bottles and drinks and that because it was obviously hot got to the finishing circuits did a bit and then swung off and, and and didn't finish the road race so 
it was uh oh to talk about kick a man when he's down that was even tougher to take to be honest it's a very encouraging first episode tom it's very uh <laughs> happy isn't it it's uplifting for welcome me. to season two <laughs> listen to how shit my summer's been <laughs> <laughs> That, you're always so uh, you're always so stoical when you see the post race interviews or when you see you unfortunately on the ground. There's an expression of yours now that I'm I'm quite used to, which is sort of phlegmatic but pissed off at the same time. But when you talk about that negativity, when does it actually come out? Because it's obvious how much it means to you, and you put a brave face on. Is it when you're talking to Sar when you get home? Because I think most of us would most of us would get tearful at some point. And it would just come out, you know. Sometimes sometimes these things come out at the weirdest points, don't they? Where you're not expecting. You might have a night out and you have a few beers and then the beers for some reason turn on the waterworks and it all it all comes out when you don't expect it. Yeah, it was... It's hard because Saar Sa finds it hard as well, you know, because we did the episode with Saar, didn't we, season one as well? And when she's there sat on the sidelines watching, it's stressful and hard to take and... You know, she can be with her mum and dad and they talk about anything. They talk about the weather for two hours, anything other than what's actually going on. And they all know they're avoiding it, but they don't want to talk about it. So sometimes I kind of guard it from her as well, especially when I'm in the race. Afterwards, you kind of, yeah, can speak to her properly about it. But yeah, it's one of those, to be honest, I kept it to myself more during the tour and before the games. But then after that road race, it was just like, I, I was just like, what have I done in a previous life? I must have been a right knob um, <laughs> to, to to deserve that. But yeah, I don't know. It was, and back home, I won't go into details and stuff. But it, you know, it was a bit stressful stuff going on at home at that time as well. So, oh, it was horrendous. Like especially being stuck in Tokyo, away from a family as well. So, oh, those things added up was just not not the best place and um but the thing is you the immediate aftermath that's that's the worst part and you kind of need time to just be pissed off and annoyed and upset but then you wake up the next day and you're kind of like right okay let's put that behind me i've still got the time trial three days time the road race was saturday time trial was wednesday yeah you just try and be positive about it and you you move forward you just focus on the tt and you just tell yourself you could be, you're going to be okay. And you, you tell yourself, no, I'm actually feeling all right. You do your training. You still eat well. You get your massage. You see the physio. And then you do the TT and you end up 12th. And you're like, I was, who was I kidding? Like, that was only going to end one way anyway. <laughs> but at the time, you still have to be positive And you still have to like do the right things and at least give yourself that chance. But yeah, the TT, as I say, like I started, the first lap was kind of okay. The second lap, my legs sort of fell off a bit. But even after the first lap, I was already 50 seconds down on Roglic. Rowan Dennis caught me with 10k to go, which is the first time I've been caught in a TT, maybe ever. So that wasn't very positive either. So <laughs> Any any words from Rowan as he fizzed by? Uh, no, no, there wasn't actually. But he ended up with bronze, so that was great to see. Obviously, he's a teammate for with Ineos with me. And he was on our pod, so yeah. To be honest, it was it was hard to take positives at the time but when you look back it's kind of like well at least I gave it everything and I got to the start line in the best shape I could at the tour and then even the Olympics like the road race and the TT I started both those races with the best of the situation I was in it's hard to take though even now it's still like 
I'm glad that I've had that time off though to you know get away from everything. Like when the season was over, could go away and just relax and uh, forget about cycling. And then obviously when November comes around, get back training and in, into it full full throttle for for next season. Then come out swinging. I remember you telling me after that the reasons one of the reasons you celebrated your Tour de France winning. 2018 properly was that when you win other races in the cycling calendar then there's always another race just around the corner it might be two or three days later if you're doing this this the spring classics it might be a week later there might just be you win a stage one day and the next day you're rolling off and you're you're back with the the rest of the the race again but i suppose you can flip that round as well and when something goes wrong it's almost that regularity it's, there's always another race to take your mind off it there's always another target there is always another season, at least for a little bit longer. Um, I wouldn't say you're a spring chicken. You're maybe a, a summer chicken now. Is that fair? Um, <laughs> but there's there's always there's always other races. There's always other targets that just naturally come rolling around in front of you. Yeah, that's the thing. I think with our team as well, with Sky and Ineos, because we've been so successful, it's like you can win Paris-Nice or Dauphiné, which is a massive race in its own right, but it's kind of like, right, okay, yeah, cool. We should win that. Like, on to the next one. Yeah, like when I won the tour, I was like, right, I'm definitely going to enjoy this because you just never know what's around the corner. And especially, you know, because I was 32 when I won, like I'd been around a bit, you know, I was maybe 11 years pro. I understood like what it takes to do that. It doesn't just happen. And obviously some young kids have done super well. Pogacar, he's won two already and he's what, 23. But that's not normal. And I think it's easy to take things for granted sometimes. And then when you stop, look back and be like, wow, actually I did really well on those couple of races, but I didn't enjoy it, you know, at the time. And at the time is when you really need to, to do it. Like, it's, okay, you can still celebrate in 10 years time, but it's not the same, is it? You need to just enjoy the here and now and make the most of it. So I'm so glad I did that because things just don't go as you want all the time. You can put all, you can do everything right, put all the work in, but, something happens and it just doesn't work out so enjoy the good times when you can right G, you mentioned earlier on in this podcast that my official gtcc club jersey was looking a little snug it would be remiss of me to not point out that some of your clothes are looking a little snugger because it's that time of year where you can huh. eat like a normal person yeah i'm a bit disappointed you said that though tom because i've got my winter wardrobe on as well <laughs> so these clothes are bigger than normal as well so See, they're looking snug I'm- I've done some real damage. It's the maternity outfits. <laughs> but yeah, so it's nice to have had a break, to be honest. Like after the Olympics, I had some time off, was was in Cardiff, then came back out to France after a week or so, started training. But, you know, it was a lot more relaxed. Would eat a few things, which I wouldn't normally eat, have a few beers. But in the back of my mind, I still had racing to do. So you're still half switched on. You're not totally switched off. But then once the season's fully done, yeah, it's time to just... For me, it's, it's, I have to be completely off and just eat and drink and almost eat too much and drink too much. So then you feel guilty and you're like, right, okay, I feel bad now. I really need to get back on it. And then you do everything good and yeah, you crack on and you have some real big goals and you kind of work towards them. But uh, yeah, I've definitely enjoyed it. I, I can't uh, lie about that. You know, on Christmas Day where all rules are off in terms of what you can eat and drink at what point of the day, like Christmas, you can legitimately have uh, a gin and tonic at quarter past nine in the morning. Or <laughs> if you fancy it, you can eat eight pigs in blankets at quarter past 11. 
Do you have days like that in your downtime where you're just like, right, I'm just, I'm not going to just eat slightly more, have a couple more beers. I'm just going to, I'm going to go crazy. Uh, every day's like that, mate. October. <laughs> every day's like that. <laughs> uh, no, definitely. Um, you might have a, I'll say a barbecue, but I'm obviously not in the UK for all of October, but we were in Crete for a bit. So, you know, have a barbecue, have some good meat and stuff. And yeah, you just start drinking at 12 and yeah, you finish at whatever time. But as I say, that's sort of my release. That's what I need. You know, you need to sort of get to that stage where you like want to get back on the bike and then you still wait another week or two. And then um, by the time you do get back, you're raring to go and you can go all the way till the end of the tour then really and or end of next season and have a big blowout again. When you were out in Tokyo, G, did you watch any of the other bike racing going on? Because apart from Rowan Dennis getting bronze in the time trial, another one of your Grenadiers teammates did something pretty remarkable in the mountain biking yeah obviously tom peacock won the mountain bike i did see bits of that i can't remember where i was at the time i was definitely out in tokyo because we were on the same flight home me and tom and andy murray actually but yeah tom unbelievable did tom get bumped up to um business did he get as a gold medal winner did he get bumped up front of the plane and you turn, you, he's turning left you're turning right well luckily i was business as well but he i don't know if he went into first I i'm not sure yeah, no, it was great to see Tom do so well. Matthew van der Poel was a big favourite alongside him and he ended up crashing out and Tom just rode really well. Held his nerve and unbelievable, really. So, yeah, it was great to see him win. Billy Carapaz also won the road race. So, yeah, it was, it was a decent sort of games for uh, Ineos. Yeah, obviously Tom being British, so that was that was great to see. And then when I got back, the BMX in, that was incredible. Wow, like just some of their stories as well from like their background and stuff how they got into it and all that but then also just the way they performed was just incredible and that was great to see like the freestyle stuff that's pretty insane isn't it i mean this level of enthusiasm g for different disciplines of cycling is making me think that we should get some of these people on as future guests i know you weren't massively keen on my idea of a cyclocross special <laughs> but i'm sure you could sort out tom peacock and i mean a bmx special would be a nice touch wouldn't it on this show yeah yeah, most definitely. I only didn't jump on the cyclocross thing because I just wanted to assert my authority over you, really. But <laughs> yeah, I think we should, uh, yeah, definitely get some mountain biking, BMX, and maybe some cyclocross as well. Who knows? Hello, I'm Katie Puckrick. Haven't I seen you on Wikipedia? Because I'm there every day. I've got a new podcast called Dot Com, the documentary series about the people of the internet. And it starts with that one site we all use, Wikipedia. Yeah, sure, it's just a little website. Who are these people? But no, it's not. The faces behind the screen, the brains behind the words. If you'd said to me, it will all be free. This is a hidden world. A place where people can come together and talk about the things that are important to them. And it's fascinating. We've just found a way in the Wiki universe to do that. I mean, how could Wikipedia not be corrupt at this point? Search for .com and subscribe now. How? Tom, good news. The sponsors are back for season two. That is Momentous, G. And Momentous just so happens to be the sponsors of this next bit. But who are they? <laughs> well, for all you listeners that were listening last season, you'll remember them as Amp Human. Aha, yeah, a leading human performance company that works with over 150 pro and elite sporting teams. And once again, we've got an exclusive discount for you. Gee, what's the lowdown? 
Well, I use uh, PR lotion all the time. You basically rub it directly in your muscles. You get bicarb directly into them and, you know, allows me to maximize training sessions and improves recovery time. Yeah, if you try it, the clinical data says you'll get 53% less muscle soreness and be able to do 25% more training intervals. I like those odds, G. So if you fancy slapping it all over your legs before your next big ride or workout, go to livemomentous.com. So that first bit, all one word, L-I-V-E, then M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com. And because you listen to this podcast, we've got you an exclusive discount. Just use the code GTCC2021 at the checkout for 25% off Momentus's PR Lotion. Happy training. Do you want the good news or the bad news first, Tom? Oh, tricky one. Let's go good news. Zwift are back as our title sponsor for Series 2. Well, that is good news. Uh, what's the bad news? Well, the bad news is that we need to follow someone on this podcast as they embark on their Zwift journey. But that means starting out with an FTP test tomorrow. I obviously don't want to do it because I don't want to embarrass you. So, well, it's got to be you then, haven't it? Really? What? That, re- that really is bad news. Oh, hang on. But there's more than just me and you on this pod, isn't there? Do you know what? I think this is a job for the MVP of our club, ever-reliable, ever-present club secretary and producer, Louise. Lou, I know you listened to this. What do you think? Hmm. Well, that's a very generous offer, but I'm not even sure what an FTP test is. Well, that's perfect then. But um, Tom, sorry, but I think you're still going to have to do it. We'll follow both your journeys. So first things first, let's get your FTP test in the bank which gives you a start in fitness level and see how much you can improve over the next 20 weeks by working out on Zwift. I'll give you some workouts to do, different worlds to go and ride in and events. And uh, yeah, just basically just listen to me, Coach G. All right, that's a deal. And if you fancy giving this a go alongside me and Lou, just go to Zwift.com to start your free trial. We'll see you there. For anyone new to this podcast, we always finish with any other club business because this isn't just a podcast. It's a serious and proper cycling club, G, isn't it? It is. I I don't know about serious, but um, (laughs) it is a proper club, a proper community. But uh, somehow you're still chairman and you're leaving everything, (laughs) all the work to our producer, Louise. Yeah, I mean, I was quite clever with this because she is our club secretary. She didn't see the small print when she signed up to this, which basically, in fact, it wasn't even that small. It was quite large. It just said, Lou, you do the work. Tom does none. Um, anyway, <laughs> the first order of today's AOB is our Zwift rides. So if you're new to this, we have a weekly club ride on Zwift every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Everyone is invited. I'll be there. G's there when he's not doing professional racing or on holiday attempting to rest. And when he is doing that, he usually organises a pretty good replacement. Last series, we had the likes of Chris Hoy and Laurie Kenny join us. I'm sure there'll be more where that came from. You can get exclusive updates and chat to all your fellow GTCC members while you ride. Come and give it a go. Gee, you're not going to go too fast, are you? No, not not too fast at all. I'll try and ride um, pretty steady. I'll mix up the pace a bit as well. I might ride at the front for the first 10 minutes or so, then drop to the back and, you know, try and see everyone virtually. And yeah, you know, like, I don't know, lockdown, Zwift was, was massive. And now with the summer months and everyone can get out a bit more, it was quieting down a bit. But now, you know, clocks are going to go forward, 
back, whichever way you get less sleep. No, you get more sleep. They're going to go back. Yeah, but you get darker evenings. It's colder. You know, jump on Zwift with us. Have a bit of a crack. What time is it? Six o'clock every Wednesday. And also, G, and this is maybe the most stirring thing of all to have happened since we started the GTCC. When you finish a ride, you can then go and select the official GTCC club jersey as your jersey for your avatar. And when you start those races and you see the massed ranks of people in club jerseys, it's quite the sight. And as I said, Tom, now the, the, the world's opening up a bit, we can have our Zwift rides, but also maybe we can start meeting our club members in the real world as well. Yeah, I think this is a really good idea, G. We've been talking about this a bit, haven't we? And... Obviously, in Series 1, we invited anyone and everyone to apply to be on our GTCC committee. We had, I think we had more than 50 people in the end, didn't we? We had club chefs, we had a club barber, lots of social secretaries, which reflects the sort of cycling club this is. Um, we did forget to ask most of them to do any actual work. So we had this idea, G, didn't we? If you could do me a cheeky drum roll, please. <laughs> Is that a good one? <laughs> that, sound, that sounded much more like a seven-year-old doing a machine gun impression. Oh, maybe, yeah. Actually, should we just do a uh, a computer one? Yeah, I think i go with the computer one. That was much better. So the reason for that drum roll is this series, we are looking for GTCC road captains. Now, G, what do you think we want our road captains to do for us? Right. I reckon, nice and simple, basically... It'd be great if they could organise some meetups. So, you know, whether that's in the pub, in a calf, just to go watch some races, or even maybe possibly do a bike ride. I think that would be the number one. Secondly, I reckon they should spread the GTCC far and wide. I think encourage everyone to go listen to our pod, join the club, just tell them how good it is, you know, just generally promote us in a good way. And... We should just try and get road captains from everywhere. Every little village, town, city, country in the world even. How about that? I don't know how many countries there are, but let's just aim for the stars, Tom. Let's go big. Yeah, so how, do, how, how are we going to get people to apply? How, how's, this, how's this actually going to work? Well, I was going to say we've sorted a very snazzy application form. Obviously, I haven't lifted a finger, but Louise, our club secretary, has sorted a very nice application form for this G. We've actually gone quite proper here so you can find this form on any of our social channels on facebook insta or twitter you can apply to be the road captain of st david's which as we all know g is the smallest city in the british isles Uh, or you might go for the borough of hackney i mean you could apply to be captain of the whole of anglesey or canada or australia if you wanted to it's whatever you think you can take on we need you to rep the gtcc in your area If you want another podcast to listen to on your turbo, why not try The Joe Marler Show? Now, this is England Harlequins player Joe Marler chatting to, not rugby players, but pest controllers, ice cream innovators, marine biologists, poachers, penetration testers, lawyers, cheesemongers, and everything in between. It's pretty random, it's very funny, and he's asking all the awkward questions so you don't have to. Just search for The Joe Marler Show. Quality. I think that's enough tasks for episode one now, Tom. Just uh, join our Zwift rides and sign up to become a road captain. Lovely. Should we give our members a cheeky teaser for episode two, G? I did ask you to book the first guest. Have you found anyone decent? Oh, yeah. This this guest is certainly decent. Uh, clue, I'd say sideburns. 
Sideburns. Is it Elvis? I'm not saying. Wait and see. (laughs) We'll see you next week. I'll see you next week, mate. That was the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to Club Secretary Louise Gawilliam, Head of Music Emma Hickman, Head of Social Fionn Clark and our Honorary President Mike Carr. Most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Crowd Network. A place where you belong.